Welcome to Peter and Phil's Courageous Conversations, a podcast addressing race relations and social issues in hopes that you'll be inspired to do the same. Now, let's begin our conversation with your hosts, Dr. Peter Weinstein and Dr. Philip Nelson. So, Phil, in this conversation, we've talked about your high school history and, and running for political office and everything else. We've talked about... That sounds so strange, political office at a high school. I mean, yeah. you know, no wonder our Congress is so screwed up. I mean, <laughs> we start very early. So I'm assuming that you won all of those elections through elementary school, through middle school. Then you became co-president in high school. Did you continue to have leadership roles in student government in undergrad? No. Yeah, no, not not in undergrad. And there was a reason for that. I wasn't fully immersed in campus life. Okay. You were living at home, I take it. I was living at home. Yeah. And I was living at home and I had a very busy schedule. My father bought short order restaurant. And I managed it for him. Uh, I also was a student athlete and played tennis. So my schedule began at five o'clock in the morning when I would open the restaurant at five and get things started, manage and, and make sure everybody arrived. And, and then by eight, I would go to class. I'd finish any, any homework I might have to do. And from eight until five, I was a college student. At five, I would go to tennis practice. And then whenever it got dark, I was a college student until about 10 o'clock that night. Then I'd go back to the restaurant to close it. And I was the janitor at the restaurant. I'd go to the restaurant, check out the cash, the, the cash register, balance the till, hide the money, clean up the restaurant, lock it, close it down, and then go home. And I'd get home about one. And then I'd go to bed and I'd do that maybe two or three days. And then I'd get a day or two off from the restaurant so that I could get some sleep, you know, but I didn't eat much sleep and I didn't see it as grueling necessarily between tennis practice and closing the restaurant. I would be in labs or studying for the next day or whatever, you know, that's how, that's how I got my homework done. So I didn't live on campus, but I, I was either on campus or near campus most of the time. I just slept at home. Did you? I mean, it sounds like you were home for about four hours a day. So it was, yeah. really, it was a rest area on your way from one exit to another. It was rest area. Now, my mother spent a lot of time there. My father was director of food service and was conscious of the fact that he had a restaurant that that there was a an appearance of conflict of interest. And so he had inculcated in us that we needed to run the restaurant. He he needed to be there as little as possible so people did not think that he was using supplies from Jackson State. So you you know? had two sisters, right? Yes. And they were part of the restaurant as well? No. Okay, so let's continue on with the restaurant without your two sisters. <laughs> <laughs> my older sister is two years younger than I, and my baby sister was three years younger than I. And so at the time that I was in college, they were in high school and the environment wasn't conducive for young girls. And we had three types of clientele from six o'clock in the morning until about nine, 
tradesmen ate breakfast at this restaurant. And they would travel in from surrounding cities and they would come there to have breakfast. And it was the first time I saw I saw people drinking beer at breakfast. Uh, and I'm talking about quarts of beer. And I'm not talking about parties. I'm talking about an individual drinking a quart of beer, a, a quart of slits, and ordering eggs over easy, bacon, and biscuits. No, no hash browns? No, we didn't have hash browns. Yeah. Just, you know, fries, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and then, and sausage or whatever. Big, we, we served a big breakfast, but, and this is where I learned to cook. They would come in and then they would go to work. Now, I didn't think about it then. I didn't think about the fact that they were going to lay bricks and and uh, shingle roofs and everything with a buzz already. Then at nine o'clock, the Jackson State faculty would come in for breakfast and stuff. And it was amazing to see the different clientele, right? By noon, the students were up. And so... Lunch was always a big deal because faculty and students would come over because we were right across the street from Jackson State. And they would come in for 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 lunches. And our our favorite meal was called hot dog specials. We had two hot dogs with French fries, two hot dogs covered with slaw, and a barbecue sauce. And then we would and we would uh, put French fries on top of those and then douse the whole thing with barbecue sauce. Wow, that was before Wiener Schnitzel. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and we used to sell for fifty-two cents. Fifty-two cents. Fifty-two Damn. cents. That's when you had um, to pay a nickel to get into the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> no, bathroom was free if you wanted okay. to use it. And then by two o'clock, the lunch crowd's out, gone. But now the traders are back. They're off work, and they're about to go back home. Second beer. Second beer. Now it's just beer and burgers or pork chops or, you know, and they're having a meal and they're, and they're with, with the waitresses. And so I got a lot of life lessons there too, managing that kind of stuff. So, and then by, by nighttime, it was primarily students who were taking breaks from study or what have you. And if there was a basketball game after the basketball game, everybody was at the penguin. Is that the is, name of the restaurant? That was the name of the restaurant. The penguin. The penguin. Okay. Now I can go so many different directions in penguins with penguins, but where did the name come from? I have no idea because that was the name of the restaurant when we bought it. Okay. Got it. It wasn't something that your dad came up with. No. Okay. The the reason I went that way is looking at Jackson and looking at the time, penguins being black and white, that it was a an integrated type restaurant and the penguin was just demonstrating of the integration but at the time it uh, uh the penguin was established there was no integration right so i was stretching my imagination on that one you were you were just you were just mixing your times and you were and you were unaware of the social strata that was going on at the time absolutely right? um okay that explains not running for office at Jackson. And then you went to veterinary school. Yes. Now you went to Tuskegee. Yes. So did you run for office or any any of the leadership roles while at Tuskegee? I did. Okay. And I was president of SCAVMA. All right. That doesn't none of this surprises me. I'm just curious. 
because there's there's a method to my madness that I'm I'm leading you down this path with. So we can get there now. Well, no, we'll continue it a little bit. So you're president of SCABMA. Obviously, you went on to a variety of different roles as a faculty member before becoming an associate dean. Were you involved with the leadership of the faculty at NC State? No, because I was a graduate student. Okay. That makes sense. Yes. I was a graduate student and I had a young family. Okay. So too many, that's just like having a restaurant to run. Exactly. And I was committed and I was committed to first surviving graduate school. Right. Graduate school was challenging for me because I had been a faculty member for 10 years before I went back to graduate school, before I went to graduate school. And the faculty, and I knew many of the faculty at North Carolina State as a, as colleagues and suddenly I became a student. So in that time as a faculty member, uh, you were not in any leadership roles because you were relatively low level on the totem pole at that point. Definitely low level, yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You get your postgraduate, you get your board certification, and you go to Mississippi State. No, I did not get boarded. Oh. I do not have board certification. I thought you were a diplomat. No. Okay. No. I you did a residency in internal medicine. Got it. And a PhD. And a PhD. Right. So you're, a, you're yeah, a paradox. My experience, that's a whole, we, we have to have a whole nother discussion about my, about my experience in training, in professional training as an internist, because there were, there were a number of race-related incidences that influenced my success or lack of success in getting board certified. I think I was the first African-American to take the internal medicine exam. Really? Wow. Don't, wow. And, and back then everything was paper. Yes. So there was a lot more subjective grading. Yeah, well, that, I don't want to, we won't Even go there. infer that there was impropriety in the grading. Okay. It was more about the, this is difficult for me um, because I'm not one that makes, who makes excuses. Okay. And although we're talking about um, my preparation for board for, for board exams, it kind of goes back. I can't believe this is, we're going full circle. It goes back to the concept that I failed to recognize consciously about the environment and about the support system. And when there is no support system or an inadequate support system, and then you dump on top of that active or affirmative actions to pre design to prevent you from being successful, you realize how how high or a hill you have to climb. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. The metaphor I was thinking is, it's like you tried to count, climb Mount Everest without a Sherpa. Everybody yeah. else has somebody carrying their bag, but you got to carry your own. Right. That's, exactly. that's my interpretation. Yeah, exactly. And there's a reason why I'm reluctant to even discuss it because, and the best way I can explain it is, again, if I go back to the uh, Chris Hayes podcast, he tried to say, you know, I think I understand, you know, but 
I'm just going to speak to you as a white guy and say, and ask and, and say, why is there so much complaining? Mm. Because I had it hard too. I had girls that, 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 that didn't want to date me and I had this and I had that and I had that. But at the same time, he recognized that he didn't understand the lack of support because he didn't know he was in water. Right. You know, it, it's one thing to say that that I had a lot of problems and challenges and girls didn't want to date me as you're whining. I think it's a little bit different than some of the additional challenges and roadblocks and potholes and speed bumps that that other people were going through at the same time. That may, yes, it is different, but that doesn't stop the defensive response right. that we get when we try to share what we had to overcome. So, yeah, I mean, as much as I'd like to blame the professor who taught organic chemistry for my low grades in organic chemistry, I think I need to look in the mirror. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, you know, and so, and it's hard sometimes for me to separate, was it me or Memorex? I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, I um, and I definitely believe in personal response accountability, but I cannot deny the fact that, you know, and, and I won't deny that what one of some of my best years was at were at Mississippi State. Some of my worst years were at Mississippi State simultaneously. It was the best of times and it was the worst of times. It was the best of times and the worst of times. I had cases that I was going to submit for my boards that were stolen Ooh. and sub and submitted for some for for somebody else's qualifications. Hmm. Houston, um, we have a problem. Yes. I shouldn't say cases. I my best case was submitted before I had a chance to before I applied. You know, uh it was clear it was I was the clinician on record. The person who took it just happened to to um, treat the case on a weekend. You know, uh, was covering emergency duty and had and handled the case, and didn't tell me at all that he was submitting the case. It wasn't until I was about to submit the case that I found out it had already been submitted. So that had to be a, an extremely disappointing, frustrating, et cetera, et cetera, period of time, especially, you know, with everything else that was going on concurrently. It was. What I was trying to tell you, my reluctance and, and, and the reason that I was having problems is because there was a time during in diversity work where groundbreakers in diversity or the first to do something in an integrated setting were expected to be all knowing about diversity. They were expected to meet the demands of the job and inform everybody else about the needs of the newcomers. So, I was part of that phenomenon before it was recognized. Every time there was a committee, be it college or university, because Mississippi State was 
was publicly trying to become inclusive, they had to have a black person on every committee. Do we call that tokenism? Yeah, you can call it whatever you want. I call working them to death. <laughs> okay, same, yes. Because the intent was good. They wanted the voice. Well, they didn't really want the voice, but they had been convinced they had to have that voice on everything. But there was only a few of us. You know, in the entire university, there was less than 1% African-American at that time. And so it's among the faculty. Right. And so if you're going to have committee, a university committee, then every time you turn around, you know, my name was definitely up there. They only had 10 to choose from. Yeah, they only had 10 to choose from for 100 committees. Now, everybody knew you couldn't be on 100. They did? <laughs> you know, but nobody thought about the number of committees. When you were asked to be on the committee, you didn't want to say no because they would say, well, we tried, but nobody, they don't want to participate. Right. Now, at the same time, you better hold your own and be and be a good clinician if that's what you're going to be. Or if you're a history teacher, you better meet your classes and get good comments from your students and you better get all that done. And if you're going to write articles and move forward and become boarded, you got to do all that on top of everything else that you have to do. You and then you also have to take the insults. You know, if you step on an elevator and a carpenter steps off and says, I don't ride elevators with niggers. Hmm. Yeah. So going back to that Chris Hayes podcast, what you're suggesting is that you and others like you got to where you were without the support, unlike the interviewee who had that support throughout the system. You 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 climbed that mountain by yeah well you know it's kind of like the superwoman syndrome i yeah. tried to be superman oh could you fly mm, nope All i right. couldn't even i couldn't even taxi could you jump <laughs> <laughs> yeah i could do that okay because <laughs> i can't <laughs> i know yeah they make I, movies about us not being able to jump but i'm glad you said it i didn't <laughs> No, okay, so I want to continue on this leadership course. Obviously, you went to Mississippi State. You got grew up in the faculty, became an associate, an associate or or some other level of dean at Mississippi State, right? What was what was the I highest was you attained? I was an in, associate dean at Mississippi State. Yes, you were associate dean at Mississippi State, and I was interim dean for uh, for a minute. Okay, and then you kind of went and, and moved to. Um, Western and have done a similar path, short term as an a dean, as, associate, as an dean, associate dean, and then dean. and then became dean. Yes. Okay. So this is all going back to something that you said okay. about an hour ago, <laughs> or for those of you listening to the podcast at the beginning of part one, you commented about Jackson, Mississippi, twenty twenty three. And you commented about the city council and the potholes and all of the different things. And the first thing that came to mind is one of the reasons you want to go back there, and, and I, this is me speaking courageously, is that you want to go back there and fix things 
that need to be fixed. You want to become involved, take some leadership, and take that next role in helping Jackson become what Jackson, all that Jackson can be. That was an that was me putting some of the discussion at the beginning together as to why you wanted to go back and try to move things forward. Um, and that's why I went through the path of, of trying to get a feeling for your leadership, because now that you're not a, a dean, um, it's very hard not to be a leader. I know that, because that's what I deal with. So is your next um, windmill that you're gonna tilt against Don Quixote, leadership in Jackson, Mississippi? Probably. Would you but like to I, announce your plans to run for mayor of Jackson right now on the podcast? <laughs> <laughs> um, I understand why you said what you said. I understand how you surmised what you surmised. Mm -hmm. I want to make some, I, I want to correct. Okay. Or, I, or maybe I, I, I want to say, it, say this for myself. You said, I want to go back to fix things. Right. I thought I, very, I thought I made it very clear. I don't particularly want to go back. You, you intimated that, but I'm suggesting as your therapist. <laughs> <laughs> no, I want to be clear here. I, I, am, I, I want to go back. To support my mother. Okay. And my mother-in-law. Okay. I feel an obligation to do that. Um, I love them to death. And I, I want to be there for them. And to enjoy. And to enjoy. Being with them for as long as I can. I was expressing my the fact that now that I've made the commitment to go back, I'm chagrined at the considerations I have to make as a result of the racial structure and practices that are occurring in Mississippi. And I have lived a life that does not allow me to just go back and suck it up. That was my interpretation. Doesn't mean I want to. <laughs> I, 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 I wish I could just go back and live my life. I wish but, I could I wish I could sit on a committee and not take the chair. Yeah, yeah, right. But I but but I strongly believe that to those who who have received they must give accordingly and i think i have something to give now i don't have to run for anything in order to affect change there are many ways I might participate to affect change. 
the obvious would be to run for something obvious right and maybe that's the best way to kill to 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 uh um uh to kill a dream or or kill a the the, the effort because if the populace doesn't vote you in then you don't have to do anything you're going to be the co-mayor <laughs> you see i want to tell you something Oh, play with me on this one. <laughs> I've had this discussion with several fa family members already. As a matter of fact, they, I don't know why, and and, and I, I, I am surprised that you, I, there, there must be something in my subconscious that leaks these kind of things out that, that people pick up on because I have not, except with except for with Doris, I have not voiced or articulated any particular vocation here. But I am a political animal. Now, my best friend is a senator in the legislature, in the state legislature. And he has no respect for my political animus. I mean, he, you know, he, if, if he hears anything about this, he will just say, oh, not Phil. Uh, really? I mean, because I'm sure he thinks, you know, but uh, 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 I have family members. I, I've gone, I, when we go back and visit and I, I've gone, I've been back through several mayoral campaigns and listened to the talks and everything. And, and I keep thinking, and I, and, and I've, I've, I've had several verbal outbursts about the stupidity of the issues that they seem to seem to be addressing in order to get um, elected. You know, uh, the most important seems to be the potholes in in jackson you know wait before you go on i have an explanation for the potholes in jackson oh go ahead all those trade people who had that beer in the morning <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> yeah well you're just assuming that they that everybody responsible for those potholes came to the penguin but that's okay <laughs> <laughs> it just made sense yeah once again, you're mixing time time errors. <laughs> hey, those I, roads may have been built six, 50 years ago. Yeah, okay. <laughs> anyway. So anyhow, you were you were saying that uh, your family well, and others... Yeah, and, and after my verbal outbursts, you know, some of my family members have always, uh, you know, an extended family said, you know, Phil, you should run for mayor. It sounded like to me, you want to you run for mayor. I'm not sure that's what I want to do. I'm stupid enough to run for governor. Oh, okay. Well, why think small when you can think big? Not that I want to be co-governor or think I have a, any chance of winning. Again, if I had to run, it's my last hurrah, and my, my purpose would be to raise the issues that matter. You'd be the messaging. Yes. Has, has there ever been a governor in Mississippi that it was a person of color? <laughs> ask has ask has there ever been anybody well there's only I, um 
I, I as far as I know, there's only been one one color, one person of color who ha has chosen to even run. So my my question isn't unreasonable. My question was just out of naivete and not having lived in Mississippi. But so you you um you would be stirring the pot. Undoubtedly. Then I look forward to seeing that. Uh, can I send you a twenty-five dollar check to get the campaign going? It's going to be a lot more than that, you know. Right, but... Well, that's all I can afford right now. I'm a faculty <laughs> at Western. Come on. <laughs> no, um, as I said, um, I'll definitely be involved. You know, you can. You know, it's it's um, it's whimsical to be thinking about any kind of office, but Southern culture requires um a reinvestment you don't come back from california and then say i i got the answers and expect to be installed and as i said there are many ways to to be an activist you well know, sometimes and, just just running gets the message across and and that may be sufficient as well yeah that's true or sometimes you just you might you, you you might want to be the king maker. Yes, the speech writer. The speech writer. Yes. Rather than the giver, the speech, the orator. But we'll see. I the point is, is that, and it's not as if people aren't fighting either. And I know I'm not making uh observations that are that that they're not already aware of. I'm just ready to join the fight. Bill, you've always been there when you have seen a need to um, help to find solutions. And I think this is no different. And it goes back to the original part of this conversation, you know, a little while ago, that you see a need and you're not going to sit there passively waiting for change to occur. You're going to be, like I consider myself, a disruptor and trying to speed that change along. From that standpoint, you have my admiration, you have my respect, you have my support. Just don't forget the small guys when you start to take these leadership roles and try to find some time to continue this podcast from the governor's mansion in Jackson. <laughs> well, well, as long as the water's clean. Look, no, I just, <laughs> you're right. I don't value myself as a disruptor as much as I like to think of myself as a, um, as looking for the stone unturned. Ooh, that that might provide a different pathway. But my passion, as far as Jackson and Mississippi is concerned, isn't about the problem itself. It's about our descendants. I'm going back for my mother and my mother-in-law, but I care about their children. And having been in education for 40 odd years, it's easy for me to transfer my passion to issues that are going that are going to affect the next generation i've been working for the next generation for 40 years and now to focus that passion in a certain locale instead of a certain profession is just as important so to all our listeners out there please stay tuned and check back you know every time we post a new podcast to see how the campaign is going <laughs> and to learn where you can make your contributions <laughs> as Phil does his best imitation of Sisyphus pushing the boulder up the hill. <laughs> this was a great 
courageous conversation, Dr. Nelson. Thank you for sharing your insights. I had fun today. I bet you did. Yes, yes. I know. I. Yeah. It's a, it's a good thing we only have 11 listeners. <laughs> it is. There's going to be 11 people really disappointed that you're leaving Southern California at some point, whenever that may be, to change the world. But I think everybody's going to be really excited to, to see what that looks like, because I, I don't think any of us, and I know I can't, knows how to sit still well, retire well. So I think we're always going to be a little bit of Sisyphus in all of us trying to push that boulder up the hill. Well, whatever my schedule, this uh, podcast will continue as long as you and I want it to continue. <laughs> well, uh, I want to thank our 11 listeners and uh, thank you nationwide, because I think this is a great story on education and social issues and other things that, you know, I think these are the types of stories that we get to have some fun with. And every once in a while, Phil lets me throw some one-liners out there. But uh, I think it was it was a good time today. Wow. Thank you, Phil. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us for another Courageous Conversation. Be sure to follow us and check back next week for more.